Hey, what's happening, everybody? I'm Larry Roberts, and this is another episode of the Readily Random Podcast. Hey, you could be larger than life, bigger than the world, living out the hopes and dreams of every Hey, everybody, welcome to another awesome episode of the Readily Random Podcast. Today, I welcome a guest that has just a tremendous story and a tremendous message that goes out to just about everyone that's out there. It's something that affects, uh, I believe it's three out of four adults by the time they're 30. It's a message that needs to be heard, and it's something that we don't hear about too often. And so Jason Mendelson joins me today. Uh, he has a nickname of Superman, HPV, and he's going to tell us where that name came from, why he holds that moniker, and tell us his story. So I'm looking forward to hearing it. Jason, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So Superman HPV, that is uh, definitely an interesting name. How did we come about that? A few years after surviving cancer, and I'm sure we'll go into that story. Sure. I realized that when I was initially diagnosed, I looked on the internet and everything was really scary. Quite honestly, I had never heard of HPV, which I'm sure we'll talk about the definition. I started researching people who were diagnosed with head and neck cancer And quite honestly, everything was very depressing. And so as I survived, I realized that I could inspire and encourage other people where when diagnosed, they would have hope. So during treatment, chemo and radiation, my friends called me Superman. And so I thought it was a good way to draw attention to the name, right? Superman HPV, educate people about HPV, HPV HPV-related cancers, the HPV vaccine. I really just launched that site based on the fact that when I was diagnosed, there was nothing that I could find that made me feel any better. That's interesting. You did mention a vaccine there. And ironically enough, I was listening to Dr. Drew the other day, and he brought up the HPV vaccine and how valuable it is and how it's such an excellent preventative measure. I thought that that was kind of ironic that you and I were going to be talking today Can you tell us more about what is HPV and why is the vaccine such a benefit? So HPV is the most common sexually transmitted disease on the planet. You would think most people would know more about it. But quite honestly, when I was diagnosed with stage four HPV related tonsil cancer, I had truly never heard of it. I had never known anyone to be diagnosed with it. Certainly when they eventually told me that it was called oropharyngeal cancer after weeks of practicing spelling it, and then realizing that it was tongue, throat, and tonsil. It just, it's unbelievable, right? Like you said, initially three out of four adults by 30 have it. So the fact that there is a vaccine that boys and girls, not just girls, because it is the number one reason for cervical cancer for women. And so a lot of people think of it sometimes as only for girls, but the fact that boys and girls can get this vaccine starting at age nine, although most boys and girls get it between ages 11 and 13 before they're sexually active, and that it can protect them from HPV preventable cancers is really unbelievable. I mean, reality is if there was a vaccine that could protect our daughters from breast cancer or our sons from prostate cancer, everybody would give it to their kids. But because people initially thought of it as being related to HPV, a sexually transmitted disease, less people were really giving it to their children. 
So now something that's, that I find interesting, because we uh, actually pushed this episode one more day for you to celebrate your wedding anniversary. So congratulations on that. What is Thank that? You. Uh, 20, what, how many? 24 years. 24 years. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Trying to catch up to you. We're, we're getting close. We're getting close. It's got to be difficult to be diagnosed with a form of cancer uh, that's related to an STD while you're married. How did that go over? Because I, I can't imagine it went over very well. I've known my wife since I've been around 10 years old. We have known each other a long time. And we've been friendly. Like, so it's not like she, you know, we just met at a bar and all of a sudden got married and a year later I ended up with a cancer caused by an STD. It's not, it's not like that. You know what? Initially, questions come about like, when would he have gotten that? When would he have been exposed? Should I be tested? Could I have HPV? At the end of the day, my wife is an angel. She's wonderful. And the doctor told me that I likely was exposed to um, strains 16 and 18 through oral sex when I was in college around age 19. So at age 19, um, oral sex with a woman in college, um, out of 100 people that get exposed to HPV, 98% of them, their body fights off the virus. They never knew they had it. 2% decades later, can end up with HPV-related or pharyngeal cancer or tongue, throat, and tonsil cancer. When I was diagnosed at 44, like I said, you know, they said you were likely exposed when you were 19. You know, my father's best friend was diagnosed at 73. Wow. And he had been married 50 years. And I probably speak with two to four, either men or women, typically men, because three out of four adults by 30 have it. And, you know, the majority are men, but women as well. But they're always told that they could have been exposed decades earlier. And so while some people truly do have an issue, I spoke to someone two weeks ago whose wife was really questioning if they had been um, unfaithful. And when they learned that it can lay in the crypts of the throat, the virus, for decades, normally with education, people become more understanding. Yeah, I told my wife uh, your story, and she wanted to make sure that I understood that if this struck, that she would definitely have to hear it from the doctor. So she wouldn't take my <laughs> She's like, you know, I love you, but you're going to have to hear it from the doctor. So I said, hey, fair enough, fair enough. I will tell you, when I first got diagnosed and then survived, and, and we can talk a little bit about the treatment and different things, one of our friends said to my wife, why isn't he embarrassed to share his story, to tell people that he was diagnosed with an HPV related cancer. And we've said it probably three or four times already on today's show. But when you realize three out of four adults have this by 30, I figured there's nothing to be embarrassed about. And if I can prevent someone else from ending up with this cancer, um, as you probably know, when I was diagnosed and I went through chemo and radiation, seven weeks of both and a feeding tube, well, at the beginning, I didn't know a lot about this cancer, and I made videos to my kids mm. saying goodbye. And let me explain to you, as a guy who loves his family with all my heart and soul, my family, if, I didn't describe us yet, but if you know the Waltons from years ago, sure, like sure. John Boy, and if you know my big fat Greek wedding, mm -hmm. if you meld the two of those together and sprinkle Judaism on top, that's my family. So I speak to my parents multiple times a day. My brother's my next door neighbor. We have a family business where we all interact. We are together a lot. When, if I can protect someone from ever having to make videos to their kids saying goodbye, it's really, really a meaningful thing for me. 
as someone who's close with his wife and kids. Sure. I, I don't know that just hearing this and folks listening to this can really understand how powerful that is and how traumatic that must have been. I, I personally can't, but there is a certain side of me that understands where you're coming from and that you want to help prevent others from going through the same thing. Uh, you know, I was an alcoholic and I came very close to uh, drinking myself literally to death. Luckily, I got the help that I needed, been sober now for seven years. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And although I don't allow that to define me, I don't hide from it either. You know what I'm, what I mean? I, I don't try sure. to paint myself as the consummate alcoholic that, you know, all I'm doing is preaching against alcohol. That's not the case, but I'm not going to hesitate to say, you know what? I made a massive, massive mistake for probably 10 years, if not longer, 10, 12 years. And I drank myself literally almost to death. If I can help somebody not do that, I feel obligated to take that step and share that story and tell them how they can do it too. So I commend you for telling your story. I commend you for the bravery that it takes to overcome a cancer that does have some connection to an STD, which can just, by the nature of its origin, can have some negative repercussions to the uneducated. So thank you for educating people and bringing this type of awareness to the forefront. You know, I appreciate you thanking me. I mean, reality is it seems as any probably someone with a good heart that knows they can prevent other people from having a cancer caused by, you know, something that's preventable. I just think it's really my obligation. I mean, I, I remember I, I touched on it a little earlier, but I remember sitting on the couch in my living room and my wife was sleeping and my three kids were sleeping upstairs. And today, by the way, my boy girl twins are 19. My son is 13. But back then, you know, they were 12 and, you know, and seven. I remember sitting on my couch and making these videos and I would make them over and over and over again, because I thought if these are the last things my kids remember me by, you know, they went something like this. One day you're going to get married. I'm not going to be there. This is what's important. And just remembering sitting on that couch like it was yesterday is just enough to have me share my story as often as I can. That's awesome. You know, you had mentioned you were doing some research and you weren't aware of anybody that had had this. Uh, isn't this the same cancer that Michael Douglas, the actor, had? Well, so through doing research, and I don't mean to make light of it, no, but no, no. he was the only person that I could find on the Internet that had HPV-related throat cancer. Okay. And so it's probably the number one question I get asked by people worldwide and they certainly always say, you know, is this what Michael Douglas had? And my answer always is, it's the one thing that he and I have in common outside, outside of our love for Catherine Zeta-Jones. <laughs> it's interesting because there aren't many people that have gone, there weren't many people that had gone public regarding this for years. I mean, within the last year or so, many more people have come forward. But it was literally three or four years where... I was an anomaly because, right, I'm not a movie star, obviously. Thank you. And, um, <laughs> but I'm just, yeah, I'm just, you know, middle-aged guy, married, three kids, work a lot. And, and when I went public, people really were 
happy to hear the story. I mean, we ended up on NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. Oh, wow. We ended up in the Miami Herald, El Nuevo Herald. My short story has been shared in Chinese and other languages and just all over. And it was because really they couldn't find people to go public about this type of cancer and helping people. So, you know what, I'm humbled by the fact that it's made such an impact and I appreciate you thanking me. And I am hoping this podcast, as you've probably heard, we've talked in the past a little bit about my goal is to have my cancer story shared in as many languages as possible on all seven continents to save lives worldwide. Hopefully we'll be able to do that. Well, I don't want to disappoint you any, but this podcast, it's only in English. So uh, we'll at least get it out to the English-speaking <laughs> countries. Listen, you're famous in the podcast world, <laughs> I know. So I'm sure it will help a lot of people. So we'll thank you. We'll do our best, yes. So, you know, something that, that interests me is you said that you were diagnosed with stage four. I've known individuals that also had cancer, not HPV-related cancer, but cancer. And stage four generally says, hey, we are in the, I mean, this is the worst of the worst stage of cancer that you can get. But yet you sit here with me today, you look healthy as ever. Thank you. How did you overcome a stage four cancer and maintain your health as, as, as healthy as you are today? Now, granted, you went through a lot of difficulties over the time periods of treatment. Tell us more about that story. Okay. And is, if it's okay, I'm going to, I'll come full circle as I tell you the story, but I'll answer your question and I'll tie it all together, hopefully, hope. Uh, so in 2014, I was taking a financial exam. We work in the life insurance industry. I'd put my hand on my face, then my neck to ponder a question, felt a small bump. You'll notice today I have a scar that runs from the bottom of my right ear to the center of my throat. With no symptoms but that small bump, I found out a few weeks later, I ended up having a radical tonsillectomy, mm. neck dissection, so 42 lymph nodes removed, and then seven weeks chemo radiation in a feeding tube. But the cancer, which was stage four, right? That was my diagnosis, had spread from my tonsil to my lymph nodes. Two lymph nodes were full of cancer, and that's what the bump was in my neck. Can I interrupt for just once? I have a question that I want to sure. make sure that I ask that makes sense to ask it right now. When doing my research regarding your story, mentions a radical tonsillectomy. What necessarily is different between a tonsillectomy and a radical tonsillectomy? Sure. And and I should have said at the beginning, I'm a survivor, not a doctor, but here would be the answer. <laughs> Here's the answer. Everyone knows that a tonsillectomy when you're an adult is very painful. It is not anywhere near as easy as when someone's a child, right? They just have ice cream. This is like, it feels like you have a bottle of like a cracked bottles and the shards of glass have been shoved in your throat. So you have a regular tonsillectomy and then a radical tonsillectomy is just wider margins. Okay. Okay. So they remove more. Wider margin. So more is okay. taken out. Okay. Correct. Where was I? Sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry for interrupting. You were mentioning the, the lymph nodes and, and uh, the rest of the removal process there. Sorry. About no, no, no. I, I said, so radical tonsillectomy, neck dissection, 42 lymph nodes, seven weeks chemo radiation. So the short story is at the end of 2017, beginning of 2018, this, the staging of my specific cancer, HPV related or pharyngeal cancer was downgraded. I went from being stage four to stage one. And so let me explain to you survival rates. And I didn't know this at the time, right? 2014, you, you hear stage four, you know, I was calling people to say goodbye, hoping that I was going to survive, trying to have a great attitude, but scared to death, but not letting my wife and kids know that because who needs them to be worried? 
if you have head and neck cancer, right, HPV related, survival rates are 85% and greater. And they even told me at the time that I was diagnosed, your chance of survival is 85% and greater. And I remember asking the doctor, that was with surgery and with radiation. I said, well, what happens if I had chemo? And he said to me, well, it increases your chances of survival by another five to 6%. I'm like, well, I'm, I'll do it. He goes, well, don't you want to know more about it? I said, no. What do I need to know more about? If my son who was taking a math test told me he could make an 85 or a 91, I'd say study all day long to make the 91. So certainly this is about my health. I'm all in. At the time, I didn't know, you know, really what the outcome would be. So over years of people surviving and doing well, and most people that I knew back then were stages three and four, mm -hmm. they were able to downgrade the staging. And while the treatment really hasn't changed because the survival rate is so high, that's where that downgrading took place. If you are diagnosed with head and neck cancer caused by smoking and drinking, and I hope you don't mind me mentioning this, no. the chance of survival is less than 35%. It is a big difference. Like when I see someone, and we don't have to talk about this because this is not my purpose on being on your show, but when I see people who dip and that's oral cancer caused by, I, it takes everything I have not to discuss this because, you know, a lot of people just aren't well-educated like I wasn't about head and neck cancer. Most people know about pancreatic cancer, lung cancer, breast cancer, but head and neck cancer, not very well known, whether it's HPV related or not. Right, right. You were able to increase your survival rate by five to 6% with chemo. Obviously, other than the scarring, as you mentioned, you look great. Are there opportunities for less than optimal results in those survival rates as well? What are some of the things that potentially could have happened had it not gone as well as it did. I meant to say at the beginning, if you end up with a bump on your neck or sore in your mouth, it's not healing, or it feels like you have a fishbone in your throat, people have said, go to your ear, nose and throat doctor. And I think this addresses your question of what could have happened. There are people, a lot of guys don't like going to the doctor. They don't feel like it's manly. I, however, apparently don't possess that gene. I felt the bump on a Thursday was to the doctor on Monday. And I just figured I'm going to the doctor. But had I not gone to the doctor, remember, the cancer had spread from my tonsils to my lymph nodes. Had I not gone to the doctor, it's possible that it could have spread throughout my whole body. And, and while it doesn't happen often, I know people who have had it spread to their back and other places, and the chance of survival is not very good um, if it spreads throughout your body. So again, I will tell you, early diagnosis and recognition of the issue is the best chance for survival. Um, if you don't mind me mentioning, when I was going through treatment, can I touch on that as well? Sure, please. I, I think it's important because a lot of people know people now who are being diagnosed with this. And some of the, I'm gonna do this in reverse, but I'll tie it all together. When people are going through treatment, you know, a lot of people know chemo, um, the results of chemo through other cancers where people lose their hair, which by the way, I just shaved my head, this is not a result of that. But people know people who throw up and they get really sick. So cisplatin was my chemo drug. I had it, it took like around eight hours, the whole process, flushing the kidneys, everything that was involved. But the only thing I really ended up with from chemo was being really feeling not really feeling nauseous. I never threw up, did not lose my hair, but I really felt seasick a lot. Radiation is really what, it, which is the most difficult for people going through this treatment because I ended up with third degree burns in my throat. I had a feeding tube because I couldn't swallow my saliva, mm. 
right? Imagine this. Every time you swallow today, spit into a cup. And at the end of the day, when the cup is full, if it's a large size Slurpee cup, you pour it in the drain. That's what I did the first time. And it was so thick, it couldn't go down the drain. So I ended up having to pour my saliva into the toilet or into a trash can. I would go to sleep at night and wake up like five minutes later because the saliva was so thick, it would cover my breathing way, my airway. And it would be like someone was choking me. I would check my blood pressure 20 to 40 times a day because I could tell when I was getting dehydrated. And again, not to be depressing, but most people know when you get dehydrated and it was the third degree burns that was sucking the fluid from the inside out. So I was just you know, pushing tons of fluid into my feeding tube, but I wasn't throwing up. I was not having diarrhea and I was not sweating, yet I was dehydrated and it was from the burn. So that's what took place during treatment right? You end up with your head clipped down to a table. If, if you were to go to my website, supermanhpv.com, I have a, um, a video in my blog section, but it shows literally your head is clipped down to a table. You're laying on your back and you lay there. Well, it's not a problem at first, but imagine four to five weeks into a seven week treatment, all of a sudden you can't swallow. It was brutal. Mm. After a while, you know, I was in bed 18 hours a day for a month going through treatment. And the only good thing was I always tell people, you try to find the silver lining is that I got to watch seven years of Lost in two and a half weeks. Granted, it was a lousy ending in my opinion, but <laughs> post-treatment, right? So you ring the bell when you're done treatment. Everyone is like, you know, you're so excited, it's over. Well, radiation is the gift that keeps on giving. And my burns got worse after I rang the bell for like two weeks. It was exhausting, quite honestly. And today, you know, I've lost my, this is not a big deal to, for me, but some people end up with really limited saliva long-term. For me, it came back little by little, month after month. Eight months into finishing treatment, I ended up being able to train for a 140-mile bike ride over two days. So I, I, wrote, I spoke and rode wow. at the Ride to Conquer Cancer. One of my clients had, um, the year earlier, written my name on their cycling shirt and raised funds for, for cancer. And so I was you know, really honored to be able to ride and train. Yeah, that's cool. I mentioned that because a lot of people get worried their life won't get back to normal. They won't be able to exercise or travel or do things of that nature. So I guess the long-term side effects could be lack of saliva. So you carry a bottle of water with you most places because you can't eat. Your throat gets really dry. Um, some people end up with jaw pain. If I ever have to have a tooth extracted, I need to go into a hyperbaric chamber for three days before because of less blood flow to the jaw. So they're afraid that if they extract a tooth, it could crack the jawline. And so again, oh, I try wow. not to think about the what ifs Right. I mean, I guess anyone, whether it's this cancer or others, you know, you get a bump and you're worried, could it be cancer? That's normal for most cancer survivors. But sure. I don't know about the long term side effects of radiation. But as my father said to me, which made me feel better, which is important to me in case you're wondering, he said, Jason, you did what you had to do to survive cancer at the time with medical advances. You don't know if some of the side effects that occur today won't be an issue down the road. And I think whether you're diagnosed and battling this type of cancer or others, you do what you have to do to survive today without being worried about what could happen 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, because hopefully through science, those concerns will be lessened. Now, with my limited exposure to, to cancer, uh, I've known people that have relatives have had it. I know you go back yearly for exams and then after X number of years, you can go to five years, that sort of thing. Is it the same type of timeline for head and throat cancer as well? As you can tell, 
I'm a little bit more aggressive, right? And that I went immediately to the doctor. So I saw my ear, nose and throat doctor, my radiation oncologist and my oncologist at least once a quarter for probably two, two and a half years, as well as I had follow-up CTs of my neck and I had a follow-up PET scan. Oh, wow. I was released from my oncologist approximately a year and a half ago. And I still see to date my ear, nose and throat doctor twice a year and my oncologist, excuse me, my radiation oncologist, the one in charge of radiation once or twice a year, just to be careful. But it depends on, you know, your specific cancer as to how often you need follow-ups. But for me, for peace of mind, I try to go a few times a year, even now. Sure, sure. You, you mentioned clients more than once throughout our, our discussion here so far. What exactly do you do for your clients? Who are your clients and, and what does your, your outreach look like? Okay, thank you for asking. You know what, and I, I probably meant to say patients or clients. I don't exactly know how to, how to say it because I'm not a doctor. I serve as president of our family business, which those are my clients. These are really where I'm trying to do advocacy work. And so I work and speak with okay. people newly diagnosed, people going through treatment. So patients survivors and caregivers. That is who I speak with a few times a week, depending on, you know, from all over the world, right? I spoke to someone earlier in the, in the month from Africa. I speak with people from literally everywhere from South America to Canada to all over. And it's anything from, they need to no longer feel alone, right? They don't have maybe a closeness with other people that can inspire them or encourage them. And, and again, as close as my family is, it was very meaningful to me to have a client's daughter text me when I was going through treatment saying, you can do this. It's all temporary one more day. So I think because I've been through it, I can share with someone who's about to go through this, that they're going to be okay. I serve on the executive board for the head and neck cancer Alliance. And so through early detection prevention and really just serving patient survivors and caregivers, we work with really people that are in all different phases of head and neck cancer, not just HPV related. And so I serve as an ambassador in their ambassador program, sharing my story. And there are many others that do the same thing. I think through my involvement with the head and neck cancer Alliance, and they have everything from programs to help people, you know, get to treatment through the gas card program to simply support different types of just networking and and camaraderie. But through my involvement with that organization, through my own website, Superman HPV, which by the way, I sell nothing. It's just a place where I can provide information, places I've spoken, my story, just hopefully gives people hope and inspiration. But I think through those two mediums, as well as other social media, I think people feel better, right? They're more comfortable being able to do that is what allows others to hopefully one day do what I'm doing and helping others. Yeah, I mean, anytime we can we can find someone that that's going through something similar or has gone through something similar, of course, that helps us feel at ease. We don't feel as alone, regardless of what that may be. I know that I benefited greatly from being in an inpatient treatment center for my alcoholism because I was surrounded by others that had similar issues to mine. And I think what you're doing, again, putting that story out there and providing that support, uh, even if it is a long distance type of support, I think that's so critical and so crucial. I I think it's going to do wonders for those that are looking for that type of support, just any kind of support, really. 
something that I assume is it's it's got to be on the on the horizon, right? You you you, you got to be putting pen to paper, right? You got a book coming, don't you? I wish I could tell you yes. Someone asked me that recently. Oh, so I don't have yeah, that. Yeah. Um, you know. Maybe I should have that. I've been in a lot of articles. I'm all over the internet. You know, it would be interesting to do. And quite honestly, it's not about me. I, I don't know if I said this earlier. I don't think I did, although I meant to. I don't have a Superman complex, a superhero complex. I'm not an egomaniac. Sure. People ask me that. And the truth is that if it would help others, if it would help others, I would absolutely consider it. Um, I don't have that now, though. So I don't know... Um, I try to include, I guess I could do that in a book, include humor and information and just something that people could have with them all the time um, when going through treatment. So the shorter answer is I haven't. The longer answer is I would absolutely consider it if it would make a difference. You know, I got to tell you, Jason, in no way would I assume or would I detect a Superman complex from you. Uh, As you said before, you know, we've spoken a little bit previously had that been the case, I wouldn't have been as excited as I am to do this episode and to share this episode with my listeners. You come from a place that's obvious humility, and you obviously have the right approach in mind, and that is simply to share and help and uplift others. And again, I think that's tremendous. I think a book would be very, very complimentary to what you're doing. Not saying you're not doing enough by any means, but I do think that would be something nice for folks to have as well. And your story is so tremendous. And I know we just barely scraped the surface of everything that, that went on during that time. So yeah, I'm, I'm throwing down the gauntlet, brother. I'm challenging you right now. Get a book out there. Get a book. I will, I will find out more about that. I absolutely will. I think it's, um, it's an interesting idea that, that I haven't thought about recently, but definitely will look into. I can, I can definitely help okay. you in that arena as well if you're interested in it. We can talk more offline about it. I, I had somebody actually help me write a book. Now, it's about podcasting. It's, it's not my story of alcoholism, but you know, it's funny. When I sat down to write the book on podcasting, I actually did a 30-day book writing challenge. So you're supposed to write your whole book in 30 days. And I said, well, in order to do that, I'm going to have to keep it high level. So I'm going to write an intro to a podcasting book. Uh, But I wanted to be published, right? So uh, I start writing. And 10 days in, I get to reading what I've written. And I'm really writing about my story, not podcasting at all. I'm talking about where I came from and what, you know, childhood was kind of like this. And it was like, I'm just pouring my heart and soul out into this book. Nothing to do with podcasting. So what I had to do is I had to just basically crumple everything up and start over on day 10 and write a podcasting book in 20 days. Oh, wow. I got it knocked out and I'm pretty happy with it. I'm not overly excited about it and I'll be doing it again and making it much better the next time around. But the fact of the matter is I just wanted, I wanted to have a book. So I I did that. But I think in your case, I think you just, you need it. I think it'd be a great compliment to everything that you're doing. Again, if I can be of any help in that arena, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. I'd welcome that. So, so thank you. Once again, your website is supermanhpv.com, where, again, we can get in, uh, in contact with you. Your social media, is it, uh, what's your social media in case people want to look you up there? Right. And, and if it's okay, can I say one last thing before we get to that? Um, By all means. Yeah, definitely. I want to make sure people understand it's important to go to the doctor if you have any of those symptoms. Do not wait. As well, if you have any questions about the HPV vaccine, as I am not a doctor, please go speak to your son or daughter's pediatrician 
about the vaccine. It's really important in protecting your kids or grandkids. So I have a Superman HPV um, Facebook page, as well as Instagram. And my cell phone number, which I know is not common, is 407-782-5614. 407-782-5614. I say that because almost always months after people hear my story, someone out there has someone diagnosed or has a question and they reach out to me and everyone's been respectful. I've been doing it for years. And then certainly just my website, supermanhpv.com. That's awesome. Now I got to ask one more question in closing. You mentioned these, these videos that you had to make for your children uh, in anticipation of not being there for some of their larger moments in life. With your survival, did you ever show them those videos? I did not. In fact, I even deleted them. I will tell you that, and again, you know what? It's it's a regret of mine, not a not a huge one, but a regret. I was when I knew I was going to survive, and when I really understood how heart wrenching those videos were, I thought, you know what? I never want to give these videos to anyone. I don't even want to see them. It was like when I finished radiation and they asked me if I wanted to keep my mask. I'm like, no. Whereas some people keep their mask and make it artwork. I just wanted them gone. They were honestly, it's probably the one thing in my entire lifetime that just ripped at me, ripped, ripped my heart out. I never showed them. I wanted them just to think, you know, dad survived. He loves us. We're moving on. And I just would actually, I think the pain of them watching the video would almost be as, as great as the pain of me making the video. So no. Another testament to your character right there. Another testament to the fact that you are doing this right and you, you are just looking to help by spreading your message. Jason, thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Hope this helps. Let's stay in touch, man. I look forward to it. Thank you. As do I. Thank you. Take care of yourself. You as do. You too. Hey, you could be